Such a blessing to draw near to the Lord and worship Him and, and in the midst of that to open the Word of God. Are you excited to open the Word of God? Yes. Are you excited for the Word to open you? That's the bigger question. We're in a study of Ezra Nehemiah, which is really one book in the Hebrew Bible. They, they, it was just one book, but we see it as two books in our English Bibles. And the big question of the day that I want to be asking you is simply this. Where do you get your word? There's a lot of places these days. In fact, in in many ways, we're sort of a word-saturated culture. There's lots and lots of voices saying and talking and speaking about God and about God's word and about scripture and things such as this. And so that's the question I want you to hang on to as we study some really important people in our history uh, that we find in the Bible. Uh, The book of Ezra has been fascinating uh, because even more than being the book with the most unpronounceable names in the whole Bible... um, there are key leaders that we really don't want to miss and, and we might not be aware of. And so uh, three key leaders that are introduced in, in this uh, part of our Bible. Zerubbabel, we've been studying for a while, and he's the guy who led the people back from Babylon to uh, rebuild the temple. And then Ezra, we're finally to Ezra, and the name of the book is Ezra, and he comes to establish worship and focus on the word. And then we're going to get to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is the one who rebuilt the walls and established safety. So we've been in these first six chapters uh, of Ezra, uh, which concern the first return uh, to to come and to rebuild. We've been all about that. The 50,000, can you imagine managing 50,000 people? A stadium full of people to go across a desert trying to organize that and take care of all of the the things that they needed, uh, and they came back, these Jewish exiles coming back, and, uh, and 900 miles across the desert, 900 miles across the desert, uh, making this pathway, and then they, to rebuild uh, the temple. And the temple was completed, that's what we looked at last week, it was then uh, dedicated in 515. Now we're in uh, chapters 7 through 10. Uh, which is the second return, and that's the return under Ezra uh, in chapter 7. We pick this up, and it's going to be a time of reform that is happening. Um, And and chapter 7 begins with these words, now after this. Now that sounds like, oh, we just, that's the next day or a week. No, 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 no. It's 57 years later. (laughs) How many of you are not yet 57 years old? I know there's some of you. Okay, all right. (laughs) So, It's a pretty long span of time. And two Persian kings later. And it's a smaller crowd. 5,000 come at this time. So that's what we're studying today. And so we're in Ezra chapter 7, beginning verse 1. And you can check me on these pronunciations, okay? Because there's a lot of names. There's 16 names in here, all right? Are you ready for the word? I'm just waiting for quiet. Now, after this... In the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitab, son of 
Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meraiot, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses uh, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now let's stand and let's pray. God, I thank you for word. And I thank you for leaders who were faithful to bring the word, faithful to the word faithful in their actions with the word. And God, uh, we want to understand that better. And these leaders, we pray that the things we learn about them would impact us and, and that they might take hold of us as individuals and as families and as church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We've been studying rebuilding because all of us really come to places and times in our lives where we need to rebuild. Sometimes it has to do with family, sometimes it has to do with our business, sometimes it has to do with career, uh, things such as this. But we find ourselves in a time of rebuilding, and there are such principles in this time. This was a, a season of rebuilding uh, in, in the Bible among God's people. We talked a couple of weeks ago about finding your bold and then finding your build. Those are really, really important. There are those moments where you have to just know that you're doing the right thing and be bold. No, no matter the adversary, no matter what is coming against you, you have to be bold. And then finding your build was all about knowing that we're going to finish this thing. We're going to get after it. We're going to finish it and push on to the end. And we were studying that. And it was amazing to see the people of God uh, in Jerusalem pushing on toward the end. But once you rebuild, what are you going to put inside the temple? I was studying that this week. And, and I thought, you know, I was reminded of that, of that old... Uh, song that we used to sing. Uh, the church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. What? The church is the people. And it has to do with what God is doing in the hearts of the people. So where are we in that process? And I want to suggest to you that it starts with finding your word because that's our true north. That's how we're going to know true north. Uh, what are you going to stand on? We, we talked about physical foundations, but what is our spiritual foundation? Uh, we talked about stone walls that were being put up. But what are the structures that are going to be our place, our temple? 
Uh, And it has to do with the Word of God. Because it's much more than a stone structure or the sacrificial motions. They had all of that. For 57 years, they had been having all that. 57 years had passed after that dedication. It was really the the first Hanukkah. That's what dedication means. And, And the temple walls were solid. The rituals were functioning. The feasts and the Day of Atonement were being observed. But how were they building the people? What was happening among these families? And here's the truth. Here's what we were beginning to hear. Is that the people in Judah were in a terrible place. It was really bad what was going on. There were still some physical threats uh, that were there, but much more important, that wasn't the biggest deal. Much more important was there was intermarriage with pagan people. You might say, well, why is that such a big deal? It was a really big deal because it was undermining their identity as Jewish people. Intermarriage is going to become a bigger and bigger deal in the chapters that are ahead. And we don't want to misunderstand. This was not a racial issue. Uh, it wasn't regarding uh, intermarriage racially. Um, and I'll, I'll just remind you, in case you did not know, Moses married Zipporah, who was a Cushite. She was an Ethiopian African woman. I mean, you don't get any higher than Moses, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a really significant... I think God just did that to say, I'm going to tell you folks later. If you get all into this thing about you're not supposed to intermarry or, or you're scowling at someone because they, they had an intermarriage, uh, interracial marriage, that's not what God is talking about. What God is talking about and what the Word is talking about was a matter of faith and Jewish identity. And that's what we want to understand. The concern at the time of, uh, of Ezra was assimilation. Will we be assimilated into the culture around us? Will we be just absorbed? Will, will there be anything different about us? God made the Jewish people different. He said, you're going to have one day when you don't work. Everybody's going to think you're lazy, but you're going to get more done in the six days. Uh, I'm establishing you as a different kind of people. 10% of what you earn, what you bring in, you're going to give back to the temple and you're going to have more in the 90% than you did in the 10%. You're going to be a set apart. And those are just some of the little things. You're going to be set apart in the way that you observe, in the way that you worship, in all of the things that you do. But now, is that just going to be absorbed or or assimilated? Are you going to be assimilated where you're not any different from the culture that is around you? These were the threats to Jewish identity. And these were the, the very things that actually caused judgment upon Israel, the northern ten tribes, and Judah, the southern two tribes. And now it's beginning to happen again. We're we're not any different. There's idolatry that's coming into our homes. There's an estimate that by this time, 57 years later, about 85% of the marriages were intermarriages with people outside of the faith. It's a huge concern that Ezra is going to be trying to address. It's a concern that goes all the way to today. If you know Jewish people, you will know this is a big, big deal. If our children marry outside of the faith. You might remember this fellow. Uh, uh, Do you remember that guy? Yeah. Tevya uh, is his name. He's a friend of mine. Uh, And in Fiddler on the Roof, uh, he's in Russia, in turn of the century Russia, in the Jewish village called a shtetl. And they have a matchmaker and they're trying to live life and do all of these things. And the big issue in, in the show, in the musical, in the story that's told, is who are his daughters going to marry? 
Because they normally did that by arrangement. You're going to marry a good Jewish man, and we're going to set that up. We'll get that all set. We'll talk to the matchmaker. But the oldest daughter, Zeidel, you might remember, um, she found a good Jewish boy, Matel, but he was poor. That's the guy in the picture there. And and Golda said, why can't you marry someone with a little bit of money? (laughs) And then Hadel, the, the second daughter, she finds a bright Jewish boy who's a teacher, but he also happens to be a communist revolutionary. <laughs> and, they, and so they end up in Siberia. And then there's the third one, Hava. And Hava, she falls in love with a Russian Gentile. And she, he likes books, just as she likes to read. She loves books. And she runs off and marries him against her father's wishes. And finally, when Teva, Tevya er, learns this and he's with Golda, he turns to Golda and he says, Golda? Go home. We have other children. Hava is dead to us. Now, that's not a scriptural solution, but that's how strong this is 2,500 years later because we will lose ourselves if we, if we lose our faith through intermarriage. We say something similar today when we say uh, among the teenagers and, and, uh, and the young adults, we say, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever because it doesn't lead to very good things. I know that there are people who marry unbelievers and that person becomes a believer later. God works through all these things, but it is a way that our Christian identity can be lost. And so this shows us very much the significant issue that exists to this day within Judaism. And so I was going to take a different kind of leader in this new era that was upon them. And once again, God used a pagan king to move his people, Artaxerxes this time. Artaxerxes released those who wanted to return, said, you can go and uh, go with Ezra and head on back and and reestablish the things that are needed there. And that's where we are in chapter 7. We finally get to meet Ezra. And you might not have ever thought of him... um, as a particularly special people, I hope by the end of today you go, wow, that was a man of God because he was an incredible man of God. We learned that he was descended from the priestly line of Aaron. That's what all those names were about. Uh, I don't know why we have Buki in there. There was a couple of them in there there a little bit. But it was all the descending from the, the priestly line. But he was also a scribe. What does that mean? He literally... Had, had virtually memorized the f- first five books of the Bible so that he could write them and rewrite them and rewrite them. Uh, he was among that, that group of people that would memorize every word and then count every word and count every letter so that nothing, nothing was missed. That was the high value on the word of God, a scribe. And then they were also teachers of the law. Uh, he was skilled at the law, the scripture says. He, he handled the word of God correctly. Today we would say to rightly divide the word of truth is the way we talk about it. And much of the focus uh, uh, for Ezra was to restore a reverence for the word, a reverence for Torah, because they had just drifted away from it, the the things that were prescribed there. Um, The Talmud uh, talks about Ezra and says that if the Torah had not been given through Moses, it would have been given through Ezra. That's a big deal. I mean, he's compared as a teacher of the law, as a, to, to Moses. So Ezra leads this second large group uh, back to Babylon from Jerusalem. 5,000 priests, Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, all of these people. This group is not made up of construction workers. It's a, it's a different group of people. 
It's not really made up of those who might become soldiers. These, these are the singers and the musicians and the priests and the people that handled all of the things of worship within the temple. They, they have been training. They have been uh, within their families learning how to do these things. And now they're coming back to reestablish uh, the practices of worship and, and a reverence toward uh, the word of God. Um, we don't know what motivated him except that the Lord must have moved on his heart. And he may have heard about the difficulties that were going on in Jerusalem, that things were not not going well. They had drifted very badly. What we do know is that Ezra loved the Lord and he loved the Word. Say, loved the Word. Loved the Word. It's such a powerful thing. The king granted him all that he asked. So, I mean, that's a big deal. (laughs) This pagan king... Uh, and God has used this a number of times. He, he stirs up these pagan kings to do things. And Ezra found favor with the king. Also, he found favor with the Lord. The hand of the Lord his God was on him. In fact, that's what the king saw. He says, the hand of your Lord is on you. So I want to bless you. I, I, wa- I want to help you along the way. That phrase appears eight times in Ezra and Nehemiah. It's a really powerful thing for us to see. So we don't know exactly what motivated Ezra. We don't have a conversation where God said, now you need to go. But he, he went and he obeyed. We do know that Ezra was all about the word. Verse 10 is so powerful. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law, the word, the law of the Lord, and to do it and to teach his, and to do it and to teach his statutes and the rules in Israel. So he studied God's word. He was about obeying God's word and teaching God's word. We would say he talked the talk and he walked the walk. And that's such an important thing for us to see and to know. Ezra knew it, he interpreted it, and he applied it. And this was the thing that would keep them clear of idolatry. Uh, This was why uh, the judgment had come upon Israel before. So Ezra, he leaves and he's carrying a letter of endorsement from King Artaxerxes. I didn't read the rest of it, but the rest of chapter 7 mostly is basically a group visa for 5,000 people. And it says, these folks can go where they want to go. They're free. Uh, If they want to be with Ezra, they're free to be with Ezra. 5,000 people. And, And the king and his counselors are sending gold and silver. And there are animals and grain and wine and oil, all the things that are going to be needed for the worship process. And they're not going to be taxed. Say, wow, (laughs) this is the first tax exempt uh, group. (laughs) It started 2,500 years ago. And it's a big deal. Ezra was to appoint magistrates and judges. So he's put it, he's made governor over the area. That's huge. And, in fact, there were severe penalties for any who did not obey the law of God. Can you imagine? There's a severe, very severe penalty if people don't obey the law of God. This was an amazing time. So Ezra was Israel's really first teacher. I was studying this, and I, and I, and I thought, all of a sudden, I thought, this guy is the first rabbi. Well, I'm not the first to think of that. <laughs> I started looking around and I found in a lot of different Jewish sources, he's called the first rabbi, uh, ch- the chief rabbi. We have the, the chief priest. He's the chief rabbi. It all starts right here with this guy. Rabbinical Judaism, the process, the, even the manner. He had studied with the best. And so he's bringing a rabbinical teaching method 
the word of God, renewing the word of God. And this is one of the first separations that we see of priest and teacher. Now, he was both. He was a priest and he was a scribe and a, a teacher. And, and the priest, just to remind you, functions as an intermediary between God and the people, representing God before the people and the people before God, praying before God for the people and then bringing uh, the absolution and, the, and uh, atonement uh, words back. A teacher functions as an interpreter of the word of God and guides the people. A prophet is a little bit different. A prophet spoke the word of the Lord directly to the people and then they would write that down a lot of times. But Ezra was used by God to restore worship, to reestablish the word, and really to bring revival. You know, I hear that so many times people will say, what, what we need right now is revival. Would you say amen? amen. Uh, we, we need revival, you know, and so uh, that's what we're talking about here very much. And it all starts with that question, where do we get our word? What are we going to trust? I found a great quote uh, from Abraham Lincoln. Just because you found it on the internet does not mean it is true. (laughs) See, I'm with you. That is so obviously false because it says 1866 and we all know he died in 1865. So that can't possibly be a quote from Abraham Lincoln as, as true as it is. It's not authentic. But what I want us to do um, this morning is to look at Ezra as an example of where we get our word. He's such an amazing man, such an amazing leader. And, And the first thing I would lift out of this scripture is, number one, Ezra was a person of training. And we know that we see that in, in, in that list of names. He was both a priest and a scribe. I mean, he knew the word of God just like the back of his hand and maybe a little bit better. He was skilled at handling the word, the law of Moses, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Boy, he knew it. And the the Talmud actually tells us that Ezra had been instrumental in helping modernize the language. He worked with the language. He was brilliant. The people he studied with, and we hear more about it in the the Talmud, which is the commentary on the law uh, that was written in Babylon. But the Talmud tells us that he helped in modernizing the language. He helped in updating and standardizing the the expressions so that people could understand the word of God. I mean, so he was a translator of sorts. So a question that I I would ask, when when we're listening for the word, you turn on the radio, you tune into a podcast, you you pick up a book, uh, you look at a YouTube, okay, would be, is this person that's bringing me the word, are they well-trained? It's an important question. It's not the only thing in, in, in the recipe. It's not the only thing in the puzzle, okay? But it's important. I've known some people who never went to, to seminary, never went to a Bible school, who were amazingly well-trained. I mean, they were brilliant people who were self-taught. They studied and read everything. And they were able to bring together a, a, a vast amount of knowledge and hold a vast amount of knowledge. And, and I know that that's very true. But most of us learn from other people. Most of us learn in discussion, in question, and answer. I've heard some who, who will brag. They'll say, well, I didn't go to cemetery, you know. And we'll laugh, I'll laugh about that, okay. Um, 
But, but I've also heard some who, who didn't go to seminary or Bible school, and they'll, they'll make statements that are errors. They'll say things that are wrong. And, and I will think to my, I don't, I don't raise my hand, I don't run up, but it's, it's like if you studied a little bit, you would know how to find the answer to that a little bit better. And so I want to say that training is good. It's not the only thing, but training is good. Um, the second thing I would lift out was that Ezra was obedient to God. Ezra went up to Jerusalem as, uh, at the leading of the Lord. The word uh, where it says that he went up is the word aliyah. Say that with me, aliyah. And we know that word because that's the word used for immigration. When you immigrate to Israel, you are making aliyah. Uh, and we've talked about that before because to go to Jerusalem is to go up. You're going up geographically, but you're also going up spiritually. And so he was obedient to make aliyah. Some of you have maybe even heard of the, the organization here locally called Ezra International. They work all around the world to bring Jewish people to Israel to make Aliyah. Ezra International. It makes sense. And Ezra uh, left, he left the security and the stability uh, there in Babylon. Things were all right. A lot of people stayed behind, but he answered the call of God. So a question I would ask when we're listening to someone, when we're trying to discern, should I, should I be listening? And you're listening to me right now. Uh, and I, I am honored. I'm humbled by that. I take this all very, very seriously. But is the person uh, bringing the word to me, are they obedient to God? When God says to do something, will they do it? And I know I, many of you know my story. I came to a place in my life where God said, okay, it's time to go. And it was not an easy thing. It was a very difficult thing. And I realized in that moment, this determines what I really believe about God. What I really trust about God. Am am I willing to go when he says go? And so, is the person bringing me the word obedient to the Lord? The third thing I would lift out of this is that Ezra was respected in the community. It's not the only thing, but it's an important thing. He had the favor of the king. And it's not always a good thing to have the king against you, the king after you. Uh, there's no indication that Ezra was compromised politically uh, to gain favor. He wasn't sold out. You don't want someone that's sold out. But to be in good standing with the king, with, with the authorities or whoever, can be a good thing. And it was used by God to bring about this restoration and this revival. So is the person that I'm listening to, are they respected and by the right people in the right places? We see it here. The fourth thing is so powerful. Ezra was anointed. And we find it twice in this passage of Scripture. It says the hand of the Lord was on him. That's what that means. That's the anointing of the Lord. Uh, we would call it anointing. Sometimes people will say, uh, we'll talk about the anointing, that, well, that, that teaching was so anointed. What do you mean by that? You can't always say exactly. It's the, it's the Spirit of God in you witnessing to the anointing on that person, on that teaching, on that event, that place, there was an anointing there. It's like what Pastor Ann was talking about earlier when someone said, I came in the room and I could sense God was here. 
And there are times that we have that are like this. We need to be under anointed teaching. We need to hear the word from someone who is anointed. Ezra was an anointed teacher and priest and leader. And so people followed him. They said, we want to be following along with that. So I would ask this question, is the person bringing me the word, whether it's a podcast or whatever it is, um, are they anointed of God? And sometimes, you, since it's through media, we don't immediately see that. But we, we need to find a way to be close enough or, or listen to the witness of other people so that we know that there is anointing on this person who's bringing the word. The fifth thing is that Ezra had set his heart on the word. I love verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it wasn't just that he studied it and to do it and to teach it, teach the statutes, teach the practice of these things. He studied the word, he did the word, and he taught the word. And so one of the questions that, that I would ask, I mean, this final question is so very important. Does the person bringing me the word, does the person I'm listening to, the broadcast, you know, there are like 2,500 broadcast stations in the United States. And that's just in the United States. I tried to get a count worldwide. I can't even get it without spending an enormous amount of time researching. There's so much word out there. Is the word that I'm speaking to uh, or, or that is speaking to me and speaking to my heart, is that word, um, is that person respectful of the word? It's something that I've, I've come to um, seek to practice very much. Many of you know I love to read Scripture. And, um, and many of you know I read Scripture beginning to end. I, and I don't stop partway through. And it's something that I just began to observe that sometimes uh, a person will be speaking and they'll, they'll get partway through the Scripture and then they'll say, you know, the other day I was hunting squirrels in Georgia. And, and I'm going... God was talking. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would never be disrespectful. But I, I mean, that's why I ask you to be quiet in the room and I try to not in, interrupt God while he's talking. I've had people come and they say, oh, Pastor Jeff, you know, you said this thing and, and it just impacted me so much. <laughs> and, and I just honestly would have to tell them that was God because I didn't even emphasize that part. You heard that when God was talking. So I don't want to interrupt God. It's why uh, at times we've stood for the entire scripture reading. Let let me just tell you, um, Ezra, uh, when we get to the book of Nehemiah, he has a day when he says, we're going to read scripture today. And so he starts when the sun is coming up and he does not stop reading the scripture until noon. Say, Pastor Jeff, thank you. I, I've read some long scriptures, you know, but, but isn't that amazing? We're, we'll get to that a little bit later. We won't do the same exact thing, all right? But he had such a respect for the power of the word. When God is speaking, it is so very powerful. And I pray that we would be a church, we would be families, that we would be people that would have that same kind of respect. The more we look at it, we would see that Ezra, he was laying the foundation for revival. There's a revival that's coming. There's a lot of confession. There's a a lot of repentance that's going to be coming at this time. People say, oh, we need revival. And, And I have to say, sometimes 
I think what they really mean is I'd like people to behave better. (laughs) And that's what they think of as revival. Revival is much bigger than that. Revival is when massive amounts of confession and repentance happen. Um, I think a good definition of revival is where everyone, wherever they are, takes a step forward with God that is challenging and is difficult, but God enables them to do that. That's what revival is. And that's why we see it, you know, in in a whole region at times. And so revival is a very powerful thing. But it is rooted in the word. True revelation and revival comes through exposure to the word of God. Now, you'll hear many, many times, and this is true as well. They'll say there's never revival without prayer. You study any of the great revivals and you'll find there were people praying, people praying, people praying before those revivals happened in the great awakenings and all those sorts of things. It was prayer. But prayer comes out of the word of God. Exposure to the word leads people into prayer. We don't even know what to pray about. We don't even know what to be convicted about unless we know the word and study the word of God. And if we don't know the word and study the word of God, we're just slowly getting absorbed into the culture around us. We see that, don't we? We're more and more. I mean, I mean, I won't go into all the examples of mainline churches that don't look anything like the Bible at all right now. It's a scary sort of thing. And exposure to the word, it leads people into prayer and prayer foments revival. That's where it comes from. I found this scripture that I I thought spoke to this so well. Psalm uh, 119.93 says, I will never forget your precepts, your word, for by them you have revived me. Why don't we read that out loud together? I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. This is where revival comes from. You know, I, I, I studied church history. I studied uh, the history of, of biblical thinking. And I would challenge you to, to find anything different. There's never been a revival that was not rooted in a rediscovery and recommitment to the word of God. You can go back and, I mean, every time, I mean, the Apostle Paul, when he was bringing these things together that we find in our New Testament, he was gathering together truths that have been there all along, but he brings them to bear in light of the coming of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. And then, and then you come 1,500 years later, and uh, the Protestant Reformation started when Martin Luther uh, made this, aha, I get it. Salvation is by grace, through faith. And it's all, it was always there in the scripture, but it was a rediscovery of the truth, the word of God. And that, that nugget changed the shape of the church. And you can go through the, all of the awakenings and the Wesleyan awakening and the, the great awakenings and all of the great revivals that happened. They all center on the preaching of the word of God. We rediscover the word of God. We preach the word of God. We share the word of God. You know, sometimes these days we ask this question, uh, where are you getting your news? Because it makes a difference, doesn't it? You have to be careful where you get your news and try, try to be balanced in that. And, and for me, I mean, I've got a, a couple of just sort of uh, rock-solid resources that just tell me what happened. I just want to know what happened. I don't want to know your spin, okay? 
And then I, I, I read news from a couple of different sources uh, on different sides of the issues so that I can hopefully have a grasp of, of what I need to know in my world. I think it's really important. How much more careful should we be regarding where we get our word? Very, yeah. So I'm back to that question. Where are you getting your word? Some would say that we live in the most word-rich age ever. There's more word out there. I I looked, because I wasn't really sure, I looked how many versions of the Bible I have on my computer. I thought it was about 27. That was a number of years ago. I have 40 different versions of the Bible on my computer that I can access. I don't access them all, certainly not all the time. But when I'm studying, I can look at those different versions of the Bible. Some of them are a couple of different versions in Greek and a couple of different interlinear Bibles, things like that. But it's, it's important to realize, even in the midst of that, uh, where am I getting my word? Where do I get it? There's a lot out there, but is it all good? And as I've suggested, we're flooded with books and and with broadcasts and television and all that sort of thing. What are we listening to? As I finished this up, I I came to Ezra, the end of chapter 7. And something marvelous happens at this point. Uh, Ezra begins to talk in the first person. So far, he's been writing about a man. I don't know that he ever met Zerubbabel. He might have met him. I tried to find out what happened to Zerubbabel, okay? Was he just buried in rubble? I don't know. So, how, what happened to him? And many, they don't really know. After that dedication of the temple that we talked about last week, uh, some uh, traditions say he went back to Babylon. So I'm done with my part. I'm, the, I'm just the building contractor. You know, I did my part. Got it all done. And he went back. So he may have met Ezra. He may have talked. You know, maybe where Ezra heard about some of these things. Ezra is much younger Uh, But he begins to talk in first person at this point, which is marvelous as he goes on from here. He's now writing. Before this, he's writing about a man, a leader that he admired so much for what he did. And now we're turning a page. And listen to the blessing that he says about his life. He's He's not looking at Ezra. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go uh, make aliyah with me is so much the call of God upon all of us to to make aliyah spiritual aliyah to go up under the bidding under under the unction of the word of God that's what he wants for us I wrote a prayer that I think summarizes the thoughts here. And I'd like for you to share in that prayer. If you're comfortable to stand, I invite you to stand. And let's pray this prayer. It's just a short prayer out of this word of God. Will you join me? Father God, give me clear discernment to know your voice and your word as I seek to grow close to you. 
Show me the places and the voices I can trust to bring me your word. Give me insight into your word by the illumination of your Holy Spirit. I pray for restoration and revival in your church and in this land. In Jesus' name. Father God, I thank you so much for word, for word made flesh to dwell among us, to come and to to sanctify us by the giving of his life. We, we, We are so grateful and we give thanks. And we thank you for the written word. We thank you for the word that lifts us and challenges us and renews us. And we pray that we might be renewed. We might be revived by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We want to observe the Lord's Supper at this time. If you don't have one of the little communion kits, just raise your hand. We should all have them by now, but we'll bring it to you. Anyone else? Just keep your hand up and we'll bring that to you. Father God, we thank you that you've given us this way to remember all that you've done for us, to connect with you in the breaking of bread and in the sharing of the cup. We pray that you would make yourself known to us in the breaking of the bread, that you would make yourself apparent to us, that that you would be word among us as we observe and as we remember all that you've done. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. same way after supper he took the cup and after supper he said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me God, we thank you so much for the blessing of your sacrifice, that we can walk with you and know that we will spend eternity with you because of all that you have given. In Jesus' name.